Hey, Victory Church, how you doing? Come on, let me hear you. Good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, as Zoe and Mark said, do us a favor, connect with us so that we can reach out to you and do our best in getting you plugged in. Um, a couple of just real, real quick announcements before we get into it. In front of you, you're going to see a QR code on the chair in front of you uh, at any point throughout the service, but we're going to talk, you'll hear me talk about it throughout the message. If you want to take your next step, if you'll scan that QR code, it'll send kind of a little form for you to fill out. If you're wanting to, if you choose to give your heart to Christ today, if you want to get baptized in water, join a small group, whatever it might be. That's kind of your quick way. Obviously, you can visit the Welcome Center and all those kinds of things, but that's your quick way. We get that information and we can reach out to you and do our best to point you in the right direction. Uh, if you are visiting today, you might be going like, what is happening in this church? This is a very odd church. Um, what, what we do is once a year, we do kind of a four-week series called At the Movies. It's kind of a break in the regular routine that we have as a church. It's a great time to bring friends, to invite visitors to come, and you get to meet people like Thor. Did you see Thor when he came on stage? We're, we're adding him to security team instantly. And so, um, but it's just a great time to be together. And so we're in our third week. Week one, we talked about Top Gun 2, if you were here for week one. Week two, which was last week, was Collateral Beauty. We had to go buy brand new Kleenexes for the entire church uh, after that Sunday. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, and then you get today and then next Sunday. I'm not going to reveal the last movie, but it's just been a great time. Uh, and so we're going to jump into it. If you've never been a part of it, we show clips from some of Blockbuster's biggest hits. We take out biblical principles and just have have a great time together as a church family. So do me a favor, go ahead and open up your popcorn, pop your Coke so that you're not interrupting me while I'm preaching, and uh, let's check out the trailer to the movie we're looking at today. Yeah, put your hands together for Transformers. How many of y'all have seen Transformers Rise of the Beast? Uh, it, it's a really good uh, life, I guess you would say. Let's just, just make it a, a general statement. If you were born around the time I was born, which was 1984, because all of the cartoons that we were raised up on that we were in love with are being turned into movies. You know, I mean, I've got the Avengers and X-Men and Transformers and all these different things, and it's just an exciting time. So I don't know if it's exciting for you. It's really exciting for me. Okay, but the truth is this, that whatever the genre, our favorite stories always seem to involve a hero and a villain. There's just something inside of us that, that in, enjoys and kind of draws towards this concept of a bad guy who's being beaten by the hero, right? This aspect that there's a, a villain, a bad guy, somebody who's wanting to hurt us, and then in comes this hero to save the day. And it really doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 80 or 8. You can think back to a time or you can, uh, you can assign labels to heroes and villains you had in your life. And so I was just thinking about a few of them. Let's go through a few of them. You got Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, right? Pretty popular. Anybody fans of them? Yeah? Nope? All right. There we go. Um, you had Batman and the Joker, right? Batman and the Joker is pretty, pretty classic. Um, you got, let's think about this. Who else do you got? You, I, I blanked for a second. Who? Superman and Lex Luthor. All right, second service is way better at this than first service was. I asked first service, and this is the only answer I got. You ready? Rocky and the Russian guy. That's where I was, and so I moved on from that. I'm uh, not going to be involved in that conversation anymore. Um, but, I, you know, I was going through, I was like, you got Harry Potter and the guy with no, no, no nose, right? Yeah? Nope. All right, the guy whose name cannot be spoken or something like that. Um, all these different things. I don't know. Who knows? But look, there's just something inside of us that draws towards that, that loves this superhero movie concept. And whether or not we know it, whether we know it or not, there's an expectation inside each of our hearts. Listen to me. 
that just when evil believes it's won, we will see a hero that's willing to give their life for our salvation. Here's what I'm telling you. I think there's something kind of knitted inside of us. I think it was knitted in us from the day we were born that we just kind of expect it. It's why we connect so well with these movies and these storylines. It's why we have this idea that no matter how, how close it looks, like the evil's going to win, that at some point the hero's going to come in. There's just something in us that believes that no matter how uh, much progress evil makes or how much evil believes it's going to win, there will be a hero who comes and saves the day. Watch this. I had taken my family, my two kids, and Darla, of course, and we went to go see Transformers Rise of the Beast in the theater. Mostly my oldest daughter wanted to see it. And I wasn't planning on using this movie for at the movies. I'd actually already picked something else. And we're in the theater, and it's that moment where he says, they're worth saving. And it was just at that moment, I just felt in my spirit, like, I've got to do this movie because that is just a phenomenal statement. And here's why it's a statement that should mean so much to us, because the foundation of the gospel, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth that God thought you and I were worth saving. Amen. That's important for you to grasp. Whether you think you're worth saving or not, whether you've been told you're worth saving or not is irrelevant. God thought you were worth saving. If you were the only person that needed the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he still would have got on the cross and died, all right? He did it for you. You are worth saving. I remember we had the opportunity a couple years ago to go hiking with some church, with a church couple. And we got miles into this hike, and at one point, we start to hike down into like this waterfall area, and I had these athletic shorts on where the pockets weren't very trustworthy, and so everywhere we were going, I was carrying my iPhone, and we end up, you know, we enjoy the water, we, we hike back all the way back up out of this area, and then another couple of miles out to get back to our car, and we're at our car getting ready to leave, and all of a sudden, it hits me, I don't have my cell phone. And there was that moment where, you know, what do you do, right, in that moment? Do you go like, well... Call it a loss, you know what I mean? Like it stinks. Or do I go hiking all the way back into that trail and try to find this phone? And so the husband went with me and we went, we, we hiked. It was all the way back at the waterfall and all the way down at the bottom. And so not only did I have to hike all the way back to the waterfall, but then I had to, had to climb back down, get the phone, climb back up, all to be able to get it. But here's why. Because to me in that moment, that phone was worth what? Saving, Right? First of all, it costs $1,000 to have it, but my, my entire life is on it. So in my mind, it was worth the trouble. And you need to understand that God sees you as worth the trouble. But I want you to understand this. We don't find God. I, when I first got saved and was kind of growing up in the, you know, I, you, if you know my story, I didn't even go to church until 17 years old. But when I started being around the religious conversation, you would hear people say, I found God at I found God when I was 22. I found God. We don't find God. God finds us. He, he comes to us where we are. He doesn't wait for us to get all cleaned up. He doesn't wait for us to figure it out. He doesn't wait for us to stay, you know, finish college and, and finish the studying of the Hebrew. Like he comes to us and then he calls us to follow him. Listen to this. The very fact that you desire God at all is an indication that God is pursuing you. 
The very fact that you would want to be at church is an indication that God is like a beacon drawing you to him. The fact that when worship comes on, something in you wants, you don't even know what this is, but you just want to do it because it's just an idea. Last Sunday, when there wasn't a dry eye in the house and you don't know what's going on, it's an indication that the presence of God is chasing after you. Let me show you in Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, Jesus is talking and he says, Today, salvation comes to this house. Talking about Zacchaeus is coming to your house because this man is to a son of Abraham. And then watch this. For the son of man came to seek, everybody say seek, seek. and to save the lost. Jesus says about himself, my mission statement, my purpose is to come and Find. It's to pursue. It's to look for. It's to discover. It's to catch. It's to see. It's to grab. It's to find. And when I get them, to save them. My mission is to seek and save. I might blow your mind a little bit in this prophetic world, but the very fact that you're here today is something that God's been working on for a while. You think you just happen to show up today. Doesn't work that way. God's been designing these steps because he's seeking you out and trying to get you to a place where you either can be saved or can be operating in your salvation. He's seeking the lost to be saved. And here's why. Because God is obsessed with things. Now, that may sound a little weird to hear that God you know, assigned that kind of attribute to God, but it shows that in Scripture he's, he's obsessed with lost things. He's not mad at lost things. He's not frustrated with lost things. He's not fed up with lost things. He is obsessed with lost things. He is in the business of finding and reclaiming that which is lost. I'll prove it to you. In Luke chapter 15, there are three parables. Parables are illustrations that Jesus would use to get his point across. Because sometimes just talking wasn't getting through people's thick heads. Never happens in our day and age. But it wasn't working. So he would use these parables, these stories. It would almost be like he was using movie clips. Catch it? <laughs> Modern day parables. And he has these three parables about lost things. And there's, there's kind of a, a, a quantity aspect, a ratio aspect. The first one is 100 to 1. The second one is 10 to 1. And then the third one is 2 to 1. So the first one, the 100 to 1, he tells a parable about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. Y'all may have heard this before. And then he loses one of the sheep. And the Bible says that he leaves the 99 in a safe place. He leaves the 99 to frantically go find the one lost. You've heard people preach the idea that that's how passionate he is about the lost, that we are the found sheep who are safely in place. Let's go get the lost sheep. Then he goes to the next parable where there is a woman that has 10 coins. She loses one of her coins and she flips the house upside down, flipping couches, throwing pillows. Y'all have all been there looking for this coin. And then the third story is about a father. He has two sons. And one of his sons kind of runs away, hence, and that's where he gets the tag prodigal, and he ends up coming back. And these stories are phenomenal, and if you'll read them and understand that you're reading them to see the heart of God, to see the character of God in, in connection with lost things. If you're ever wondering how God feels about you when you're lost, if you're ever wondering how God feels about you when you're not in the will of God and you're not following God, go read Luke 15 and see the character of God and the heart of God for lost people. You have a lost boss, a lost son, a lost parent, a lost co-worker, a lost friend. If you wonder how God feels about that person, read Luke 15 and see the character of God for lost people. 
There's two things you'll see throughout all, all three of those parables that are the same for sure. Number one is this. You will see a passion to find that which is lost. He says, I, I set the 99 aside and I went looking everywhere for this one sheep. It'd be real easy for us to be like, ah, you know, you got 99. I do this with kill. I got two. I still can get, I can, get, I can lose one. You know what I mean? Still got two. That's the purpose of two. And so, you know, we had that idea of like, well, if I got 99, but Jesus says, no, 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 put the 99 aside because this one matters. You see the same frantic spirit in the woman who's flipping her house upside down to find the lost coin. You see the most beautiful aspect of that spirit in the story of the prodigal son where the father is looking and waiting. He can't physically go out, but he is waiting and looking because the second he sees that son, he's going to take off running to him. Here's the other cool parallel in all three is you see an insane excitement when what is lost is found. And I don't know if you've ever wondered to yourself, like, what's going to happen when I decide to stop running from God and allow God, you know, when I, when I become found, when, when I give my heart to Jesus, what's that going to look like? Is, is God going to be mad at me? He's going to be shaking his finger at me? Like, what's, what does that look like? And you see in all three of stories this incredible excitement where the shepherd takes the sheep and returns and where the woman throws a party about the coin, where the, the father throws a party about his son, there's an excitement about finding that which is lost because God is obsessed with lost things. I, I'll give you a fourth parable that was in my life to help make my point here. Many of you, if you've been at Victor, you know that Darla and I uh, will go and visit my father in Panama City for fall break. We take our kids and then her parents come and it's a fun little time. And one of our traditions while we're there is we go to a place called Dave and Buster's. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a massive arcade. It's where you go and you spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to play games. And then you, you get like eight bucks worth of Dollar Tree toys, you know, from the little thing. Like, it's the craziest thing. Like, my kids are excited about it. And I tell my mother-in-law, I'm like, you could have spent that $700 and we could have got 700 toys. You know what I mean? Instead, we got like a pencil and a stuffed animal for, you know, it is what it is. But we love it. It's exciting because we, we do competition, all that kind of thing. And we've been doing it so much that when we show up, we, mother, my mother-in-law, she's handing out game cards. You know, I, I wish I had a great illustration. It's hilarious. She's handing them out. We take them, and then we disperse. We're like, shoom, because some of us are going to do Mario Kart. Some of us are going to do that kid version of Las Vegas where you're gambling and moving the coins, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we're just, we're just having a blast. And we're doing our own thing. So one time, I get done doing whatever I'm doing, and I come around the corner, and I see Darla, and she's got this pure, you know, just pure panic on her face. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she says, we can't find Casey Ray. And I'm like, what? And, and so you can imagine this place is massive. It's kind of dark, you know, it lights, it's the whole deal. And so we're running it. And so all five of us, my oldest, Veda, me, her parents, we are running through Dave and Buster's trying to find Casey Ray. We're looking into every ride. We, you know, some of us have gone outside of the front door. Some of us are, we're checking the bathroom stalls. We're like running into people. Like we don't care about, you know, like grabbing strangers going, have you seen my child? Like we are legitimately panicking. And if you're a parent and you've ever had a moment in your life where just for a moment, you thought you lost your kid, you know what it feels like inside. It is just, it's, it's, it's the worst feeling. You're just, you're like, this is like, you would, you would do anything. You give your left arm. I mean, I consider giving my oldest kid up. You know what I mean? It's like you do anything you can to be able to find your child that's lost. And after a good bit of searching and we're, we're really, because you know, as the longer it goes, you start to go like, oh, this may be serious. And I'm praying in, in every native language, trying to be able to get her found. And, and finally, we find this, this particular 
ride, I guess you would say. I think it was Halo. And you're, you're, you're enclosed in the whole thing. And we just never thought to look. And so one of us goes up and kind of opens the door up in case you're like, hey, yeah. she's just there playing the game. She has no idea. And what's funny is we didn't snatch her out by her arm and throw her on the ground. We didn't tell her, hey, you got to go to timeout. You don't get to play. You know, we were so excited that we found her. And I want you to understand that as God is pursuing you, he pursues you with that kind of passion. He, he, he's not concerned about other things. He's concerned about finding you. And then once he has you, once you are saved, it's not a concept of grabbing you by your arm and throwing you in the corner. It's not putting you in timeout. It is a celebration that his son or his daughter who was once lost is now saved. Every person on earth is valuable to God. Please understand that. And he will not stop chasing you. And that's because of his concern, his passion, and his love for you will never change. Watch this. Earlier in the movie, Mirage made a promise to keep Noah safe. And so there's this moment where he gets shot, and he, he dies, and Noah says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm keeping my promise. The gospel fulfilled is God keeping his promise. At, at one point, God made us a promise. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. God made us a promise that you and I would and could be saved. That, that there was one path to heaven. There's not multiple ways to heaven. There's not multiple roads. There's not multiple gods to worship. You can't get there by good works. There is one pathway for you and I to be saved. And God made us a promise that it wouldn't be based on our performance, and it wouldn't be based on how good we are, and it wouldn't be based on how much scripture we could memorize. It would be based on our belief in Jesus Christ. He made a promise for a pathway to be saved, and he kept that promise through the sacrifice of his son. When, when Jesus climbs up on the cross, breathes his last breath, and dies, that was the promise being fulfilled. So we would say, why? Why, Jesus? Why? Not? For the promise to be fulfilled. Listen to me. The wages for sin... The cost of your salvation has always been blood. The price to pay for your salvation has always been blood. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. Today after church, you'll go eat more than likely. And when you're done eating, they'll bring you a bill. And you will not be surprised by that bill. You might be surprised by how much is on the bill, but you will not be surprised by the bill because you expected to pay we understand that there's a payment for our sins, and that payment from day one has always been a life, blood. So God sends Jesus to be the hero that saves us. God would rather him pay that price himself than for you and I to pay it. A few chapters later in the book of Luke, Luke starts to describe for us the moment where Jesus breathed his last breath. Verse 44 in chapter 23 says, it was now about noon. He's setting the tone for you. Darkness had come over the whole land. You imagine him remembering this? In case you don't understand, he's not writing that as Jesus is on the cross. They're recording this later. They're recording the Bible that you and I read later. And I'm imagining him remembering that moment. It was the darkest moment of his life. He says, it's about noon. Darkness comes over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun. It's how he felt. 
he felt like the sun had stopped shining. Think about that. I just, it, it was so dark, it felt like the sun had stopped shining. He says, then the curtain in the temple tore in two, which was a prophecy that Jesus made that was fulfilled in that moment. He says, then Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said, when he said this, he breathed his last. Imagine that moment as he's sitting there recording those words, remembering Jesus dying on a cross. So I wanted to ask you a question. Why does the hero have to die? You ever wondered that? Like, isn't it kind of strange that it's just kind of a normal understanding for us? Like, why, you know, why did Iron Man have to die? You know what I mean? Why, why does Gandalf have to die? Why did Terminator have to die? Do y'all remember that movie? He's going into, like, the lava, and he's like, yo, you know. <laughs> Maybe that was Rocky. I'm not sure. Why did Jack have to die? Wasn't there plenty of room on the door with him and Rose, guys? We've, y'all seen that? Why do heroes have? But, but better question, why is it like ingrained in us for that to make sense? So when I was growing up, I played with action figures. All right, guys, they're not dolls. They're action figures. They have muscles and they have a purpose. And so they are action. They don't come with, you know, detached high heels or anything like that. And, and I had the X-Men and the Ninja Turtles. I even had the Ghostbusters. I could go on four days. Um, and I would often borrow my sister's Barbies because there has to be a love interest or it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? And so I would go get Barbie. I would go into my closet where I had all the different set setups and I would use fingernail polish as blood on the action figures and I would be high as a kite in the closet. You know, I'm, I'm hallucinating. You know, I had no idea. Like, this is great. Yeah. Um, but it never failed. Wolverine always had, always had to die. It was always Wolverine. He was my favorite. So he was always going to give his life for everybody. And it was going to be that moment where Barbie's holding him in her arms, you know, and she's just walking like, thank you so much, you know, for giving your life for us, you know, and I'm just like, all the other heroes have like taken a knee, you know what I mean? And they're around, it's just this sweet moment, and it just, it just made sense to me, you know what I mean? Like, like it wasn't like, like I never asked why, like it just, it made sense to me that something designed in my body understood that if they were going to be safe, someone had to die. Like, for everybody to experience salvation, there had to be a life given. So then let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus have to sacrifice his life? Why Jesus? Like, if we're not careful, we fall into this religious mindset where it's just kind of something we understand and something that we accept. And if we don't really understand the meaning behind it, we won't really experience the power of it. If we're not careful, it just becomes a necklace. It becomes a cute shirt maybe a bumper sticker, and we miss out on the whole purpose and point behind it. Why couldn't God just forgive those for their wrongdoings who did wrong? Well, why couldn't you and I even today, for those of us that have sinned over the past seven days, if you're in here and you haven't, good job. But why couldn't we just go to God and be like, hey, I'm sorry. I messed up. I made a mistake. I yelled at my kids. I flipped that person off on the interstate. You know what I mean? Like, it ha that was all this morning. You know what I mean? It happens. <laughs> like, you know, forgive me. Forgive me. Why can't, why can't it just be that easy? Why did somebody have to die? A couple weeks ago, I was hanging out with Tim. Tim and Jenny oversee our V-Kids area, and they have small kids. And Trey, their youngest, he was telling me this story that he was home one night. Jenny was out, 
and he had put Trey down for a nap, and he's watching Trey on the little, you know, the little camera thing, <clears throat> and he's on the phone with his brother. He's watching a football game, and, and while he's watching it, Trey all of a sudden gets out of the bed and starts moving around his bedroom, and Tim said, I didn't think anything about it. He's done it before. He'll, he'll roam a little bit, then he'll get back in the bed and go to sleep. He said, I didn't think anything about it. <clears throat> he said, a couple minutes go by, and I see him doing this motion in his room like this. He said, and I can't, I'm looking at the, at the monitor, you know, trying to figure out what he's doing, but I can't figure it out. So he said, I said, all right, I'm going to have to go check this out. So he said, I, I tell my brother, I call him back later. I turn TV off. <clears throat> he said, I go to his room. He said, I open the door. I turn on the light. And Trey had gotten a hold of the baby powder, the big old baby powder. And he said, it was, and he, said he had just done it. He had just sprinkled it all over the room. Just every, he said, the entire room was white. You know what I mean? Entire room. And he said, I'm, I'm looking at him. I'm like, you know, what do I do? And if you've met Trey, he's got these big baby blue pouty eyes, and he's like, I'm, he's looking at me, and he's sorry, and it's a sweet moment, and Dad, I'm sorry, and it's like, son, I forgive you, but guess what? Somebody still has to clean the room, <laughs> right? Be sorry all you want. Like, I forgive you. I don't hate you, but at the end of the day, there's consequences for the action that you've done. At the end of the day, son, you're going to lay in, you know, I'm going to sweep the powder off your bed and you're going to go to sleep. And then tomorrow while you're playing with your toys and eating your goldfish, I'm going to be in the room vacuuming up all of the baby powder. When you and I sin, regardless of how sorry we feel, the consequence still has to be borne by someone. It's the Holy Spirit in us that brings the conviction, that lets us feel like that was wrong, and then we repent. But someone has to pay the consequence. The consequence of sin is death. And therefore, our sins can be paid for in one of two ways, and these are the only two ways. Your sins cannot be paid by good works. It cannot be paid by good fortune. It cannot be paid by good intentions. Your sins can be paid in one of two ways. Either you can pay for your sins with your life and you can spend eternity in hell or Jesus will pay for our sins with his life on the cross. Either way, the law is satisfied. But the heart of your heavenly father is not that you would pay it. He would much rather pay that for you and for you to be able to live under the grace and salvation of Jesus Christ. But it has to be paid. So I want to take a second and I just want to make this plea, if I could, to make sure that you have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, in a religious world where Christianity is pretty common, at least in, in our part of the world, and in the South where it's very familiar, you can go to church and have never fully really embraced salvation. You can serve in church. You can, be, you can have perfect Sunday school attendance or whatever that is and have not accepted the salvation of Jesus Christ. I remember I was going to church and youth group and doing that for a while 
before I was brought on, and y'all heard me talk about this, this discipleship walk event, and I'm in a room, and this man gets up, and he starts singing a song that was based off of the prodigal son that says, when God ran, he talks about how the spirit of God, the, the love of God ran after me, chased me, despite how bad of a person I think I am, despite my sins, and at that moment, it clicked in me, and everything was broken for me, and I remember putting my hands in the air going, God, I accept what you've done for me. I want to live for you, and in that moment, I was saved salvation salvation is instant sanctification is a process you'll be being sanctified your entire life Billy Graham said on his deathbed I just hope I don't sin but but to be saved is an instant moment where you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior my plea to you today is don't walk out of here today not having done that Bible says you believe in your heart you confess with your mouth here's what that means that you believe you believe that you're a sinner, that you sinned, and that the wages or the cost of that sin is death, and you believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross for you to pay for those sins. That's believing. And then the Bible says, confess with your mouth. Just say it. Say what you believe. And when you do those things, you are now saved. And I encourage you to do that. You can do it right now. You can do it at the end of service. If you do it, please scan that QR code so that we can follow up with you and walk with you and help explain it to you. But do not leave here today wondering. Do not leave for today questioning, am I saved? Jesus died for your sins so that you would be forgiven, so that you could spend eternity in heaven with God, reconciled to God. That bill will be paid. He's willing to pay it if you accept it. Amen? Amen. Death is not the outcome God intended for his creation. Life is. Watch this. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I told y'all that there's something inside of us that enjoys hero and villain movies. There's something in me that when the movie starts building and the music starts getting loud, I'm like, ah, you know what I mean? Just throwing popcorn at people in the theater, just going crazy. And in that moment, here's what's so sweet about that, is Mirage dies, and then he says, as Mirage comes back to life, he goes, well, you're alive, and he says, kinda, but you're gonna have to take the wheel. Here's what's sweet about the gospel. It doesn't stop at salvation. Jesus died. Bible says he resurrected on the third day. And you, you, the disciples gather around. They're like, hey, you're alive, right? You can, you can take over this thing again. We can follow you again. He says, well, kind of, but you're going to have to take the wheel. I'm going to be in heaven, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to come over you to empower you, to position you, to put you in a place to do what I was doing. So watch this. You'll fight the enemy, but I'm going to fight it with you. I'm going to fight it through you. And then my favorite part is that the bad guy's like, you're going to do it alone. And all of a sudden, who Optimus Prime comes, he's not alone. I'm like, yeah, I'm not alone. That's, the, that's, that's God in his place saying he's got the Holy Spirit, but I'm back. I'm behind him. We're moving. We're making changes. I'm changing his life. He's changing the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. Watch this. We're being transformed into his image. He's overcoming us and transforming us and changing us. We're getting taller. We're getting stronger. We're getting bolder so that we can overcome sin and fight the enemy. 
so that we can move in our calling, so that we can be used by God to impact lives. He says we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which means we're getting better and better and better. How are we doing that? By our own works? No, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So here's my challenge for everybody in this room. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you're saved, here's the next step for you. Go all in. Go all in. A relationship, a real relationship with God will transform you if you'll surrender your life to him. I want to challenge you to not just be somebody who comes to church, turns around and leaves, but to be somebody who embraces the presence of God, embraces a relationship with God, and allows him to come in and transform you, transform your marriage, transform your finances, transform your home. Allow him to come in and change you. It's who he is. I did youth pastoring for years and then into lead pastoring. And I can't tell you how many stories I had with people where there was a, um, there was a sadness in them because they felt like they didn't experience the change they were promised with Christianity. And it would never fail. The more I would talk to them, there'd be a moment where they came in, but they never went all in. Our oldest, Veda, we would love for her to do something that gets her out of the house, stop playing video games. And so we started talking to her about softball and we try to make sure that their interest is in it before we spend money and get invested. And so we signed her up for a team and got her some light gray pants. And she took some of my black Nike socks and all this kind of stuff. So she shows up to the first game and the entire team has lime green belts, lime green socks, dark, same dark colored pants, shoes, jersey. They all are matching. And there's Veda over the side. My black Nike socks on, black belt, different color gray pants. I mean, she just doesn't like she belongs at all. And she gets out, she plays the first game, and, and she's a natural. And so she, she makes a couple good plays, has a couple good hits, and now she's excited. She's made some friends. She's passionate about it. So the next day, she's bugging us. We have to go out. We have to buy the exact same color pants. We have to buy the light, lime green socks. We have to buy the lime green belt. Next thing you know, she's spending her money buying this stick. I don't even know what it is. But you hold it out, and she hits. At the end of it, it's like a ball. And she hits it, and it you know, flies and comes back. And then one day, I'm upstairs. She's got, she's got uh, Darla's parents taking her out for her. We're taking her to batting cages. We're in the backyard. She's practicing every minute of the day. She's walking around with a softball in her hand. And then the other day, I'm upstairs, and I hear her alarm go off. And I open her and she's doing push-ups, y'all. 13 years old, doing push-ups. I'm like, what? Are, are you possessed? What are you doing? And she was like, I set an alarm to make sure I'd work out so I'd be better at softball. I was blown away. She dove into it. You see what I'm saying? Don't just show up at the team with the mismatching socks and the off-color gray pants and expect your life to be transformed. Pour yourself into it. Set an alarm and read your Bible. You know what I mean? Go out and practice. Go to church. Pray. Like, like just dive in and surrender. And I, I'll make you a promise. He'll transform your life. And I'm not lying to you, and I'm not saying it to trick you. I'm a walking, talking example. Because that day when I heard that song and I got saved, I gave my life to Jesus, and I didn't just give it to him through salvation, I gave it to him. And I've seen his handprint in my life over the next 20, 25 years. It's been amazing. He's faithful. So I want to challenge you. Just close your eyes for a moment. I want to pray. I want to pray over you, and I want to allow you just a moment to lean in. Some of you, there's an area of your life that you won't give to God, and you know it. You know it. 
And that's that thing that's keeping you from complete surrender. That's the thing that's keeping you from experiencing transformation. God, I'll give you all this, but you can't have this. God can't transform what you won't give him. Father, I pray right now for everybody in this room. Number one, for those that are not saved, that this would be an opportunity for them to give their life to you. That today they would say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. That this would be the moment they remember where they were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Second, for everybody else in the room that is saved, I pray that we would be given a fresh hunger, that we'd be ready to surrender our life in every area, that you would bring transformation to us personally, to our marriage, to our home, to our finances, to our job, to our relationships, to our friendships. Come on, right now, just lean in. Just begin to say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. And whatever that area is, if there's an area in your life that you've been refusing to give to God, let today be that day. We say, God, you can have it. I want to experience true transformation. I've been saying it, but today we're going to do it. We're going to walk out of this place all in. Come on, would you begin to pray that just in your own way? And as you're praying, the worship team's going to sing over you for a moment. I just pray, the Bible says when people draw near, you draw near to them. Let that be this moment right now. As they're drawing near to you, would you draw near to them? Be able to point out areas in their life that you want to come in, that you want to transform. Areas that you want to elevate and put your hand on, your favor on. For that person that's run away, draw them back right now. Let them know that today's the day. Today's the day. A fresh fire. Fresh fire. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus.